0: The reading of Scripture this morning comes from Psalm 13. I would invite you to open your Bible. And there in your home is, if you would like, read aloud with me as we read God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your kindness to us, your compassions upon us, such that you would give us your word so that we might have words with which to commune with you. Father, we pray the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us now as we read your word. Let it sink deep into our hearts. Let it change our minds. And may it strengthen our souls so that we might live faithfully as your people. As disciples of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Psalm 13, this is the word of God for the people of God. It is written, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. These are difficult days in terms both of the pandemic and of politics and likely to get more difficult, as well as in terms of some of our own members and loved ones dealing with personal illness and adversities. And although it is always the case, we may feel it more acutely these days that we need to be a people faithful in prayer, real prayer. And one of the ways in which we can grow stronger in the life of prayer Real prayer is to pray the Psalms. That is to read the Psalms slowly, meditatively, personally, prayerfully, and let the Psalms speak for us. Let the Psalms be our personal prayers. Now, this spiritual discipline of Praying the Psalms takes time. It takes quietness and stillness. You can't do it on the run or in a, in a hurry. I dare say that most of us in our prayer life would do well to slow down. And we need to get free from distractions and we need to get still and quiet before the triune God in order to enter into deeper personal communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in accordance with Scripture. I know that I need to do that. Praying the Psalms can help us to do that praying the psalms uh praying the psalms (laughs) delivers us from just thinking about praying without praying right thinking about prayer without prayer no 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 the psalms provide us a platform a discipline uh, an entryway into prayerful communion with god because the book of psalms is the prayer book of the bible It contains prayers written by men but inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that is important because it teaches us, it means that the Psalms teach us how to pray in accordance with God's word. The Psalms serve as a guide to prayer and help us to learn how to pour out our hearts and souls to God in times of trouble as well as in times of joy. Reading through the Psalms, you will also discover that the Psalms make it perfectly clear that the life of the true believer is inevitably filled with conflict, adversity, trouble, sorrow, danger. The Psalms show us that for the true believer, life is difficult, indeed a fight. There are are external enemies in this fallen world who hate God and hate his people. There is the enemy of our own sinful nature still residing within us, inclining us to disbelieve and disobey God, making us our own worst enemies. And there is the enemy of Satan and his demonic minions, Tempting us to sin, pestering us with worldly distractions, and accusing our consciences to condemn us, mocking us for our feeble faith. Read the Psalms, and you will see that not all of them are beautiful words of comfort, such as Psalm 23 Or songs of praise such as Psalm 100. There are many psalms which are expressions of agony, doubt, fear, despair, and faith in the face of spiritual warfare. Psalm 13 is a prime example. How many of us, in one way or another, at one time or another, have felt like crying out with the words of Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Even if we did not say those words, we may have felt them and felt forgotten. And so, God has given us Psalm 13. So that we can know and be assured that it is okay for us to cry out to God in this way. Now this is one of those prayers, a lament or a complaint, which at first we might be hesitant to pray. We might think that it sounds irreverent or even borderline blasphemous. It might seem wrong to pray this prayer because after all, we know in our heads that God does not and will not forget us. That's what the Bible says. So why would we bring a complaint like this to God? And it it would seem to be invalid from the start. And worse, since God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us, then it seems as though we are accusing God of breaking his word. Should we really cry out to God, how long, O Lord, will you forget me Forever. It's pretty bold stuff. It pushes the envelope of personal piety. And we might say that it really doesn't express faith very well. We could criticize this prayer by saying that anyone who prays like this obviously does not have real faith, obviously does not know the promises of God in Scripture, obviously does not have a very mature relationship with God. Oh, we could say those things. But if we did, we would be speaking like the counselors of Job, who had all their theological ducks in a row and an answer to every question, but who obviously had never really dealt with the reality of suffering in this fallen world. So... Let's accept Psalm 13 for what it is, the word of God for the people of God, so that you and I have words to speak to God in times of trouble and suffering. Psalm 13 is a gift of God given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You have permission to pray Psalm 13 from the depths of your suffering soul. The creator who made you knows you better than you know yourself. Before a word is on your tongue, God knows it all together. He knows what you think. He knows what you feel. And God knows that in your heart, from your perspective, when it seems your world is crashing down around you, when you have suffered for a long time, when you have prayed for a long time but have not gotten the answer you want, When one trouble piles up upon another, God knows that you wonder if he has forgotten you. David, a godly man of faith, felt that way. And in fact, God used David as an instrument of the Holy Spirit to write this inspired psalm so that you and I might be assured that we too can pour out our hearts to God in this way. Now, We don't know the historical context of this psalm or the personal circumstances which David was experiencing when he wrote it. Was this during King Saul's hostile uh, pursuit of David? Uh, Was this during Absalom's rebellion against David? Was it during another time of conflict? We don't know, and it's a good thing that we don't know because it allows us to apply this Psalm to our lives and our various times of trouble, sorrow, and suffering. Most of us, if we live long enough, at some time or in some season, we'll feel so overwhelmed by adversity or grief that we will simply want to fall down and pound the ground with our fist and cry out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 13 gives us permission to do just that. And let me add, let me add that we can pray this kind of psalm not only exclusively for ourselves in our own personal trouble, but also with our hearts crying out to God for others and for our nation in all its tumult and for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are experiencing persecution unto the shedding of their blood. And so we can and we should pray prayers of lament expansively on behalf of others and with regard to broader concerns as we long for God's kingdom to come in all its fullness. In our pilgrimage through this world to the next, there is... Simply no way to avoid all pain, heartache, trouble, adversity, sorrow, and grief. We live in a fallen world, a corrupted creation, a creation in bondage to decay, Romans 8, subject to the power of death. Things are not the way they are supposed to be, according to God's original very good creation. Of course we believe that God is still God that God is still sovereign over all things, including the things that bring pain and sorrow and suffering into our lives. God has not lost control over this world. God is not powerless in the face of suffering. But the simple point here is that we do not live in the Garden of Eden. We live in a world corrupted by sin, filled with pain, overpowered by death. We do not yet live in the new creation. The eternal kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy, in which death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying nor pain any anymore. But until that day, while we live in this fallen world, it is inevitable that we will experience adversity and loss and sorrow and sadness and grief, and you remember Jesus himself said to his disciples. In the world you will have tribulation. And the Apostle Paul encouraged the early Christians saying that, quote, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14 verse 22. And Paul said that, by the way, just after he had been stoned nearly to death and dragged out of the city of Lystra. So from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we learn that God's faithful people suffer hardship, adversity, persecution, loss, and grief in this world. And the Apostle Paul was quite transparent with his feelings when he wrote to the Corinthians We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Think of that. The Apostle Paul and his missionary companions at one point were so utterly burdened beyond their strength that they despaired of life itself. That sounds as though perhaps the Apostle Paul himself might have cried out a prayer quoting Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? In our own day, in our own way, we may have those moments when Psalm 13 speaks for us from the depths of our souls. Whenever there is prolonged suffering or hardship, it might be chronic illness or a debilitating disease, chronic physical pain, or caring for a loved one who is suffering physically. Or it might be a continuing problem that just won't go away and for whatever reason you can't get it resolved. It might be a series of circumstantial hardships, trouble upon trouble, troubling your life. Or it might be an injustice, a wrong done to you by a malicious person which has continuing negative consequences in your life. Or it might arise from those old tapes from long ago Hurts, regrets, failures, woulda, shoulda, coulda that just keep on playing and playing over and over in your mind. In any of these cases, we might cry out, why do I have to keep dealing with this? Why do I have to keep going through this? Why doesn't God deliver me from this? Well, that's exactly what Psalm 13:2 says. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, at this point, the psalm has really taken us down to almost to the breaking point almost to that point of despairing of life itself. David feels that his enemy is exalted over him, triumphing over him, defeating him. David was taking a beating, and I think that in this case, it was primarily some sort of internal, emotional, psychological, spiritual struggle within him caused by... The external adversaries, whoever they were. But you see, he was really going down. His boat was sinking. It, you know, it wasn't only that there were men out there who were trying to kill him, literally. I mean, David was pretty good with a sword, <laughs> David was quite a warrior. He could handle himself pretty well in a physical fight. But something else was going on here. There was a fight in his mind a struggle in his soul, which he was afraid he was going to lose. Whatever our battles, whatever our enemies, our adversities, you see the real enemy, our real adversary is the devil who will tempt us to abandon hope. Give up our faith in God and sink in defeat and despair. That's where Psalm 13 touches bottom, at the bottom of our souls, at the bottom of our lives. But Psalm 13 does not leave us at the bottom. Psalm 13 does not let us abandon our hope and give up our faith to sink into ultimate despair. Psalm 13 teaches us to pray, not only expressing our feelings, but also against our feelings, affirming our faith. As do so many Psalms, Psalm 13 moves from fear to faith, and it moves us from fear to faith. After those crying questions, David then, as our example and teacher, begins to Pray in faith. Verse 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now David is not simply crying out to God, expressing his pain and fears. At this point, David is calling upon God to act. This in itself is an expression of faith. God is honored by our expressions of faith in him. God is honored by our prayers when in faith we call upon him to act on our behalf. In these verses, David acknowledges and affirms that God has the power to give him new strength to light up his eyes. An interesting image indicating renewed life. And energy and hope and save him from death. So, Psalm 13 gives us a prayer to pray in times of darkness and depression, but it does not let us stay stuck in self pity and despair. That's important. Psalm 13 moves forward and moves us forward, Psalm 13 looks upward and causes us to look upward. It gives us the words to pray for spiritual light in times of spiritual darkness. Despair begins to turn toward hope, and fear begins to be transformed into faith. As David calls upon God for protection and deliverance, he begins to climb up out of the valley of the shadow to walk in the light. And, and then Psalm 13 concludes with a wonderful affirmation of faith in verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now that's quite a transition, isn't it? From verses one and two to verses five and six. The prayer that began with a cry of despair concludes with an affirmation of faith. Now, listen, this is really good therapy. This is really good mental health therapy. This is really good spiritual health therapy. Do you see how it works? It begins with an honest, transparent, gut-wrenching expression of feelings, unashamedly spoken to the Lord. That's being honest with yourself and honest with God, but you don't get stuck there. The next thing is to call upon God for help to cast all your anxiety upon him. And in the recognition of your own weakness and helplessness, to ask God for his power to be at work in your life. So at that point, you're no longer focused on your problem. You become focused on God's power. And then thirdly, focused on God's power and faithfulness and goodness, your faith is renewed, your spirit is refreshed, Your heart is encouraged and you by faith look up to the heavens and express an affirmation of faith and hope. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's how we move from fear to faith, from despair to hope. But there's something else we need to consider. How can we be sure that God really does care about and is involved in the struggles of our lives? How can we be sure that this kind of prayer in Psalm 13 is one which God will hear and answer? Let me ask you this. Who was it? Of all the men who ever lived on earth, who was it who descended into the utter depths of sorrow? Who was it of all men who ever lived who really had the experience of being forsaken, truly forsaken? by God who really knew what that forsakenness felt like who as he was suffering and dying being mocked and put to shame cried out My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who was it of all the men who have ever lived on earth who went down to death with his foes rejoicing because they prevailed over him? You know who that was. You see, when the eternal Son of God took upon Himself our human nature and came into this world in human flesh and blood, He united Himself with us in all of our weakness, suffering, pain, and grief. He did that in order to redeem us out of it. Jesus was, as Isaiah prophesied, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That was an essential part of his calling as our Redeemer. And therefore, he experienced sorrow and grief for us. When he suffered on the cross, he suffered, as it were, all of the pain and shame and loss and grief and sorrow that has been caused and felt in this world because of sin. There's no sorrow or grief that you've ever felt that he himself did not carry in his own heart. Psalm 13 is a psalm of the suffering Savior. Psalm 13 is a prayer of Jesus. That's the key. Connect with Him as you pray Psalm 13. Find your salvation in union with Him. As you pray Psalm 13. Because in Psalm 13, we hear the voice of Jesus Christ speaking prophetically about his own suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection. He has been there, he has done that for you and for me. And he has been through it. He was plunged into your darkness, he has walked through your valley of the shadow. He has faced and fought your enemy, the devil, and he has won that war for you. He was forsaken as he died on the cross, and because he was forsaken, those who trust in him will never be forsaken. No matter what you are going through or will go through in this world, Jesus Christ has gone ahead of you into that darkness and has overcome it for you. Therefore, if you are in union with Jesus Christ through faith, you may have the assurance that wherever you may be, however you may be, suffering in this world, He is the one who will transform your suffering into eternal glory. These light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison because that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because the Lord Jesus Christ has been there for us. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, Romans 1.18, because Jesus Christ has been there for us. You know, earlier I referred to Jesus' statement, in this world you will have tribulation. He said that on the night of the Last Supper, John 16, 33. But that's not all he said. He went on immediately to say, but take heart, be of good courage, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world and to overcome death and to overcome all the powers of darkness and sin, we, through faith in him, in union with him, share in his eternal victory. And by his power, we are, says the scriptures, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For there is nothing in all creation, not even death itself, which will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In our union with Christ, in his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, we may confidently affirm our faith and our hope. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has... Dealt bountifully with me. To God be the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which gives us great hope and comfort and strength because we know that it is sealed with the blood of him who is the eternal word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So grant us grace, our Father, to live faithfully in these days. And let our light shine that the world may see that you are the great God who has sent your Son into the world so that we might not perish but have everlasting life. In whose name we pray, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we read together the Philippian Creed based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, of becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.